What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, racking up gains. An activist investor setting his sights on long-struggling coals and sending shares soaring today. Why the move made one of our traders sit up and take notice. Plus, a trio of stocks posting big gains today from Royal Caribbean to GE. We bat around the day as big winners in a trader triple play. And talk about a good idea or not. Taco Bell's getting in on the chicken wars, but should you take a bite out of its latest offering? We start off tonight, though, with the tech route. The Nasdaq sinking into the close, ending the day about 2.5% lower as rates kiss 1.39% earlier, the highest level since last February. This just the latest move in a run higher that started back in August. Remember when that 10-year yield was about half a percent? So the question tonight is simple. Will rising rates kill the tech rally? Guy, what do you say? Yes. Back to you, Mel. No, (laughs) absolutely. I think so much of this has been predicated on on this low interest rate, zero interest rate environment. When you have 10-year yields go from 53 basis points in August to 1.4% today, I understand that rates are still low, but the velocity and the speed of the move has been, well, it hasn't been historic, but it's been noteworthy. And I think we're headed to one and a half. We've seen it for a while. And that's your line in the sand. You start getting significantly north of one and a half percent. And the entire thesis, in my opinion, behind a lot of these high-flying tech names starts to unravel. And you're starting to see it now. And, you know, I'm a big Hans Christian Andersen fan, as I know you are as well, Mel. And a lot of people mistakenly call the, that little uh, vignette that he wrote, the emperor has no clothes. It's the emperor's new clothes. But I got to tell you, the clothes that the Fed is wearing right now are not fitting. And I think they're going to be revealed for what they are in the coming weeks. They think they can control this. It's out of their control at this point. Yeah. Karen, uh, I'll go to you on this as well. I mean, obviously, we have been in this environment of, of close to 0% interest rates for so long. And so when we move out of that, something's got to give, No. Yes, I think so. But I think a few things are happening at the same time. So there's the, you know, higher rates that Guy talked about. We always talk about the risk premium. What should the equity risk premium be? And as rates go up, the risk premium should be higher. Therefore, valuations lower. But the other side of it is, are rates going up because the economy is improving? And I believe that, yes, that's the case. But uh, I also think that the um, earnings of a lot of these high flyers, and, and let's talk about something like Google, for example, I think those earnings are going to be actually much better. So I'm long those. It's a painful day. One thing that I have on is a hedge, which is not nearly enough to hedge how much I would lose on a day like today, is the IGV, which is the, um, it's, it's tech software. And it's high flyers. The biggest position is Microsoft, but it's these really expensive names, Salesforce, ServiceNow, Zoom Video, DocuSign, CrowdStrike. Those are all going to get hit against what I think of as my more value tech. Today wasn't value at all. It was on sale again and again. But I think that if the rates move up slowly because the economy improves, I'm okay with that. I know we'll have a rotation into more cyclicals, but uh, I'm sticking with what I've got. 
Yeah, and, and obviously it's the highest flyers um, that will probably take the hardest um, hits at this point. But Carter Braxton North, of Cornerstone Macro, makes a very good point, and that is the reliance of the S&P 500 on information technology more broadly. And in terms of down days on information technology, 80% of the time the S&P 500 trades lower as well. This is since 1989, Dan. And I know you like Carter's work. So, I mean, his point basically is you can't move higher overall without technology. Yeah, that being said, though, Mel, if you look at the MAGA complex, the Microsoft, Apple, the Google, and the Amazon, they've really gone sideways for the last four months or so as we've seen that rotation into more cyclical um, names. So we did move higher without their real participation. And now it's just interesting on a day like today that you see the NASDAQ down two and a half percent or so. So to me, I, I think what Karen laid out is really smart. I mean, you look at the mega caps and you say they're value tech. Yes, they benefited from low interest rates for a whole host of reasons. Most notably, they raised a ton of money and they put it on their balance sheet and they're really not paying a whole heck of a lot. And I think as it relates to interest rates, you have to ask yourself, who really wants interest rates to go higher at this point? And Guy makes a good point that, yeah, they're going up. And Karen said they're going up because the economy is getting a little better. Look at the 10-year chart of the U.S. Treasury yield. We thought we had generational lows at about 1.5% back in 2012, then again at 2016, then again in 2019. Then you consider yourself, or you consider how much negative yielding sovereign debt there is in the world, about $15 trillion, and you think about the corporate binge on debt, and even consumers, you say to yourself, who wants rates to go higher? Then you look at it over a 30-year period, and I think we have that chart, and it's just upper left to bottom right. So maybe you get through that one and a half on the 10-year U.S. Treasury. Maybe you get to that long-term downtrend, which would be about two and a quarter. If that is the case, then yes, equities are going to have a very hard time in this environment, mm-hmm. given the state of deficits right now. Yeah. Tim? I, you know, I don't want rates at 64 bips, though. So, And I know Dan isn't wishing for that. I, I just want to point out, though, that, that yeah. if rates were moving in the other direction, I think we'd have a lot more to be worried about. Okay, We know we have inflation, uh, and I'm, I'm worried about fixed income owners, which include a lot of the world's biggest pension funds that are way, way underwater, especially in some high-yield debt, and I'm worried about credit. But, but I'd be a lot more worried about deflation and the spiral that we've been you know, basically in, both for disinflationary reasons that are positive related to technology and and just yeah the the uh, working through of, of excess in the economy but look you have a case here where uh, getting back to 160 in the 10 years is an absolutely fine place to be um, and the speed of it well how about the speed in which we're going back to work I think people need to relax uh, and, and you know we're, we're only you know, look at look at the semiconductors which were down three and a half percent today big move it, maybe they should be I mean semis have outperformed the S&P by 25 percent since September. Uh, and if you look at, yeah, the triple Qs are down four and a half percent since uh, in the last five days. We've seen these routes. And in fact, I'll, I'll quote Mark Twain. I mean, uh, rumors of my death are greatly exaggerated. How about in September when we said that rotation? How about in mid-October when we said that rotation? How about at the beginning of the year when we said that rotation were things we would never recover from, only to get, as Karen referred to, fantastic earnings out of some of the biggest companies uh, in the world. So yeah, 22, 23% of the S&P wait for the, the, the five Five or six names we talk about all the time. You should be concerned if they're selling off. The market can't rally without them. But I'm not worried about rates right here. I, you know, I'd be worried at rates over two percent, and I'd be worried about the speed. But right now, I actually want rates to normalize. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting point. I mean, when I when I marry Dan and Tim's commentary, a uh, guy, it's it's a good point that the rates around the world being negative predominantly 
they are basically a weight on the U.S. And so how how fast and how quickly can our trajectory be? And if that's the case, then maybe technology is not bad. Maybe these are buying opportunities, ultimately. Yeah, that's, absolutely. That could be the case. I mean, I'm not suggesting I'm right. I'm, I'm just pointing out what's been going on and what I think is going to continue to happen. And I think to your point about negatively yielding rates around the world, that has been a weight. So the question then you have to ask yourself, where would U.S. rates be but for that? And then how far behind the eight ball would the Fed really be if these things started um, came to light. I mean, they're getting bailed out in a lot of ways by the fact that you have all these negatively yielding bonds throughout the world. I mean, my contention's been all along. They, they being the Federal Reserve, thinks they can control something that they have zero control over. And I think the market is starting to wake up to that. Now, if we get up to one and a half percent in the 10 year and fail and rates go back down, they're going to breathe a collective sigh of relief, as will the market. And they'll get, give themselves some runway again. I just don't think um, well, let's see what happens if and when we get there. I, my sense is we're going to accelerate once we do. Yeah, it should be interesting to hear Fed Chair Jerome Powell tomorrow on the Hill. Um, meantime, let's take a closer look at the stocks being hit by rising rates. Since yields started their near nonstop climb in late January, Tesla is down nearly 20 percent. Apple and Clorox are down 12 percent. Amazon's down about 4 percent. So let's take a look at each of these. Um, Guy, you pointed out Amazon and the move or, or lack of a real move uh, since basically its earnings. Yeah, February 2nd, they released earnings. I think the stock closed at 3380 that day. I remember on the show, I said that I think there's a real good chance that the stock is going to push up against that September high of 3500-ish or so. And then we'll see again what happens when we get there. I remember Steve Grasso, 386 was on and said he wasn't as encouraged by that. And he thought you'd see a failure. Steve had it spot on. Now, here we are uh, with a significant move to the downside. So the question is, you know, where does it trade down to? What's your next entry point? That 29.50 level, if you remember, from that September 2nd high, well, two weeks later it was trading 29.50. You know, I don't know if we get there, but that's a fantastic entry point. And remember that I think a day after earnings for Amazon, I think on February 3rd or 4th, I think Morgan Stanley came out and put a 4,200 price target on it. That's probably going to be right. The question is, does it get to 29.50 first? It's absolutely worth watching the next week or so. All right, let's get to Tesla here. Um, Dan, uh, Tesla's down markedly, down about 15 percent here. It's actually down 21% from its closing high last month, Mel. And what I think is really interesting today, you know, down 8.5%. It was a bad break below its 50-day moving average. The last time this stock had closed below its 50-day moving average was on November 16th. That was the day the S&P 500 uh, announced that they were going to be adding Tesla to their 500 index. The stock at that point on November 16th was also down 20% from its September 2nd all-time high. What happened from November 16th to its high last month? The stock actually doubled, okay? It gained $400 billion in market cap. So I do think it's interesting that this is a really bad break here. You could say it's about interest rates. You could talk about competition. You could talk about Elon Musk and his little Dogecoin and, and, and Bitcoin fascination and a lot of goofiness going on in and around all that sort of stuff. I just think we're at a point maybe where people are starting to look at just like, listen, if rates are going to be higher, you know, some of these growthier sort of names that we're willing to give these really ridiculous premiums to whether we should lighten up a little bit. So it just seems like there was a lot of narratives coming together in this one. And it makes sense to me that this one cools down a little bit. And I think you have room down towards 600 bucks in the near term. I'm glad you brought up the uh, the Bitcoin. There's a lot of chatter on the Internet about when Elon Musk and, and Tesla took its um, took a Bitcoin 
stake or, or position, and I say position, not investment, Karen, because they don't benefit from this. Because basically, on paper, Bitcoin, their position has gone up a billion dollars since they first announced this. But they don't benefit on the upside. Is that right? Well, I guess uh, from an accounting standpoint, right. they appear not to be able to benefit, that they can only market at their cost. And if it goes up, they don't get to market higher. But the kind of correlation that the market is assigning now is there regardless of whatever the accounting treatment is. So I think there, you know, it's definitely some correlation there. And they're kind of similar, you know, with the sort of frothiness. Um, they're correlated that way as well. I guess it's all interconnected. But... Um, I mean, I, I'm surprised Bitcoin was, I don't know, several hours ago down, I don't know, 7,000 at one point. I'm kind of surprised it's hung in there as well as it has. What an extraordinary run. And this, this pullback is pretty tiny. A Tesla pullback is far greater than the yeah. Bitcoin pullback. Um, Anti-Tesla, <laughs> Apple. <laughs> Karen, we'll go to you on this one. <laughs> yes. Yeah, the, the, right. I think of it as a value play on part of, but the, the PE multiple clearly is much higher. And as that evolution of the business that we've been talking about for years, going from hardware to much, much more services, a much more recurring revenue stream, that multiple should be higher. It is higher. I don't know in the short term what is going to move the stock besides sentiment and the market and this kind of you know, risk premium that we talk about. We're not going to see earnings until April 30th, but I am really a believer in 5G and the evolution of this company. So I'm taking my hits in the stock. Uh, I, I wouldn't sell it today. If it goes, you know, I don't know, five or ten bucks lower, maybe I would look to buy it. But right here, I'm kind of doing nothing. Just a little sad that it's trading down, but that's okay. All right. Clorox is another one. Obviously, dividend-paying stocks uh, face some more competition from treasuries in theory when yields go higher. Tim, what do you make of Clorox? I don't... Yeah, I don't think this is about higher rates. You're not buying. You weren't buying Clorox because it, it was a yield play. You were buying Clorox because it was a total pandemic play, and, and the tailwinds around it. And in fact, management just gave a virtual investor day where they they upped their guidance from three to five percent over the next couple of years, uh, from two to four percent, three to five percent. So they upped their guidance, you know, effectively on on uh, where their top line growth was substantially, if you think about it. And, and the stock has had a weird. Uh, you know, volatility to the upside on some of this guidance and, and really just got caught, I think, in some upside volatility, frankly, and has given a lot of that back. This is not, to me, an interest rate story. This is a, a pandemic. To what extent is Clorox, as we are gapping to, to reopen in this country, and thank goodness uh, the news has been pretty decent, this stock's been negatively correlated to the reopening trade, and that's, to me, what this is. All right. Well, our next guest lists financials as the top buy as yields grind higher. Julian Emanuel is BTIG's chief equity and derivative strategist. Julian, great to have you with us. Um, you like a lot of the cyclical sectors. And before we get to that, I want to ask you the question we started the show off with, and that is, will rising rates kill the tech rally? They w it won't kill the tech rally, but it's certainly going to cause what we think probably a little bit more protracted period of underperformance. Look, if you think about it, and you think about the evolution of the economy and the evolution of markets, uh, first thing is that financials outperformance, which we expect to be not a multi-week uh, or you know several weeks phenomenon, but a multi-quarter phenomenon, is part and parcel of every full bull market that you've seen for the last 50 years. So from that perspective, it's a positive that we have that coming in, in front of us. But look, the issue here is that 
we've never, first of all, come from this low a level of yields, absolutely. So it's very difficult to gauge the, the behavior uh, of these stocks, which are proving to be very sensitive. Um, ultimately, to us, you're going to get to a point where, again, the valuations start to look more in line in terms of technology, and there'll be a buy because the earnings power long term is absolutely there. Julian, I'm curious because a lot of uh, other firms out there put out their so-called magic number, the level at which yields will matter to stock investors in terms of valuation. Is that sort of a fool's errand? I mean, you, you're talking about this as sort of, you know, we've never been here. We've never come off of such a low base before. So we don't really know what the playbook is going to be. Well, it isn't a fool's errand, uh, Melissa, because really it, it's more to us not what that level is, but how you get there. I mean, uh, several weeks ago, we raised our year-end 10-year yield uh, price forecast from 150 to 170. Again, still in the absolute scheme of things, very, very attractive, very, very sedate. You know, you showed that 30-year chart uh, of yields, and that barely registers, quite honestly. But the, the problem that the market is having over the last week and a half or so is the speed at which we've gotten to where we've gotten. And the way markets are, they tend to extrapolate the near-term behavior into the next several weeks. And then all of a sudden, there's this fear that we're going to run away to the upside. Well, we're going to hear from Chairman Powell uh, this week. We're going to hear from a lot of Fed speakers. And they're all going to tell you that that's not likely the case. All right. So you like financials, energy, and industrials clearly levered to reopening to a, an economy that is heating up. These are plays for, for the entire year, you, you think? Yeah, well, we think actually potentially longer. Again, look at financials. Their relative performance versus the S&P 500 is basically making a double bottom that goes back to the depth of the financial crisis. So you have a long runway. You look at something like energy, a shade over 4% of the exposure in the S&P 500. Yes, it's up from two and a half, but the 10-year average is closer to 9%. So you could see a 10, 20, 30% advance in energies, even if the index at the broad level sort of trended flat for, uh, for the near term. All right, Julian, great to speak with you. Thank you. Thank you. Julian Emanuel, BTIG. Tim, I'll go to you because I'm curious. Do you remember when Paul Sankey of Sankey Research was on and he he put out another trade, a pair trade, trade, right? It was pear short. Trade. It was short Tesla, long. Was it long Exxon? Something like that? Yeah, we 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 kind of goaded him into that one. And Paul's a good <laughs> sport. And I think Paul, Paul was pointing really just out. I, I think he was not necessarily looking to get out there and opine on Apple. He was looking to talk about an energy sector and where there were some really compelling arguments, both in terms of the macro and the supply side, but also where a lot of these companies were being run uh, much more for the equity investor than they have been ever. So, uh, look, I, I, I love the story on banks, though. I want to go there also because I know we're going to talk energy later in the show. And what Julian's talking about as a multi-quarter re-rating, look, look at where uh, Citibank is relative to its pre-pandemic level. Look at where their business is now. Look at the regulatory pressure that's off them, or at least the fear of uh, in terms of what we got on stress tests, the ability of banks to, to kind of go back to buying back stock, to be more aggressive with their balance sheet and, and a yield curve. That, that has we spent most of the show talking about it. And this is where banks were under the most pressure. I, I you know, if Main Street is opening up faster than we expect, uh, we talked about why weren't banks participating with the rest of the market. They've got a lot of room to run here. And I think Citibank and Bank of America are, are the ones with the most operational leverage.
All right. Coming up, a Boeing breakdown. Why a plane engine failure over the weekend is sparking big trouble for the stock today. Plus, shares of Kohl's racking up big gains after catching some activist interest. We'll bring you the details much more fast right after this. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing making headlines this weekend after one of its 777 jets was forced to make an emergency landing due to engine failure. Massive pieces of debris falling on a Denver neighborhood. Luckily, no one was hurt, but the issue prompted Boeing to urge airlines to suspend 777s that have the engine made by Pratt & Whitney. So what could this news mean for Boeing? And, and obviously, Tim, it's, it's, I go to you because you're a shareholder. It's slightly different from the other situation with the MAX in that it is an engine that is made by somebody else. But... Should we be worried about Boeing having a culture problem um, yeah, when we hear about this? Obviously, we're having technical difficulties with Tim. So, Guy, I'll go to you. Same question to you. Mm-hmm. Boeing's look, I mean, it, I think what we're seeing here is the news has less and less, whatever the news is, has less and less effect on the price of the stock. I mean, today is a good example. I think it was down 3 or $4, which percentage-wise is you know, somewhat insignificant. Boeing seems to be locked somewhere between 195 and 230-ish for the last six months. I've said for a while, continue to say, we've actually been saying it since the fall, if you really want to get leverage in this space, I understand the airlines, but one other derivative is this Spirit Aerosystems out of Wichita, Kansas, which, by the way, report tomorrow. The stock has gone from the high teens. I think it closed at 43 today. Uh, I, think, I think people will look past this earnings release and say, who sets up best in this environment? And despite the fact that SPR has had a huge run with Boeing going sideways, I think that trade can continue. I still think you can see a sideways in Boeing and a rally in SPR. The action, the price action in Boeing today, Tim, was really interesting in, in that it sort of was kind of flat, tried to go positive and end of the day lower. So I'm curious uh, as to what your take is on the news. Cautious approach from, uh, I think, regulators and from the aviation industry overall on this with with uh, obviously the recent history. Uh, also, weak airline demand means that, the, you know, you could take 777s out of the sky for a little while and it's not that big a deal. There's plenty of capacity to replace it. Uh, I think I was getting to look, the most important dynamic for, for Boeing, not for the world and not for public safety and not for the, the sadness around a couple of those epic crashes, is, is the stock response to the demand dynamics, not necessarily the regulatory one. Remember, the demise of, Do- of Boeing really as a stock was around the collapse of the airline industry. And, and meanwhile, airlines were up significantly today and continue to be a way to play reopening. I, I think Boeing ultimately is, is tied there unless we learn a whole lot more here. 
All right. Coming up, it's not so hip to be square after shares of the payment stock got hit on Wall Street today. But we'll tell you what's got some options traders ready to charge back into the name ahead of its earnings tomorrow. Much more Fast Money right after this. Every day, thousands of Comcast engineers and technologists put people at the heart of everything they create. Like Olu Shehi, a Comcast engineer who grew up bonding with his dad over sports. This inspired him and his team to create AI Highlights technology that uses AI and machine learning to detect the major plays in a sporting event. So millions of fans have a way of catching up on their favorite sports. Learn more at ComcastCorporation.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Kohl's rejecting an attempt by a group of activists and uh, shareholders to seize control of the retailer's board. Shares are up over 6% today. Courtney Reagan's got all the details. Hey, Court. Hi there, Melissa. So Kohl's has been communicating with these four activists since December, and it says it's, quote, open to new ideas and will continue to engage with Miscellum Advisors, Anchor Advisors, Legion Partners, and 410 Capital. But Kohl's also adds today is the first time the investor group has shared any details about their plans to create value. It contends its own plan already covers much of the activists' ideas. Except reconstituting the board, Kohl's says that would, quote, disrupt our momentum. And its six new independent directors have actually been added since 2016. Kohl's stock has grown more than 150 percent since it laid out its strategy in October of 2020. Though over a decade, the stock price really hasn't done much. Margin and EBIT have declined recently, but it is far from a retailer in distress. I'm not sure if we have a soundbite ready from one of the investors that was on today, but he he effectively said, uh, look, you're right, Kohl's is certainly not a retailer in distress, as maybe some of the others are, but there's low-hanging fruit, things that we can do here to fix it. He talked about things like inventory overhauls, uh, corporate governance, as we talked about with the board, and a number of other retail 101 fundamentals. And Jonathan Duskin, one of those activist investors from Macellum, is in fact one of the nine directors that the group is proposing for the Kohl's board. Macellum and Ancora, in fact, and Legion also teamed up for activism in Bed Bath & Beyond in 2019, and the group were likely responsible for affecting a lot of changes there, including a board overhaul and a new CEO, who, by the way, is in fact leading a transformation with some of the activist group's ideas. Now, Maselem and Ankara were also successful in getting one of Maselem's partners, Aaron Goldstein, on the Big Lots board, along with another director. And Thomas Kingsbury, the former Burlington CEO, is also on the Big Lots board, and he is one of those on the activist group slate for Kohl's. So they've had success in other retailers in the past, more recent past, although they've been smaller than Kohl's, and a lot of these same names are being floated for the boards. Melissa? Courtney, thank you. Courtney Reagan with the details on this activist uh, effort at Kohl's. Karen, you actually thought that Kohl's might look interesting here. Why, why is it? Is it that the activists have a track record? It's that the activists have a track record. They have a big stake, 10, almost 10 percent. It was a very good letter. You know, they talked about one of the things that they highlighted was this idea of um, real estate, sale leaseback. And at first I was thinking, all right, this doesn't seem to be a great time to monetize stores. And reading the letter, it seemed like from the amount of detail and their, um, I guess, how certain they feel about it, I think that 
they feel there's someone waiting in the wings for them to do a significant sale leaseback if they were to be able to get control. They push on a lot of the hot buttons that shareholders, you know, don't want to hear about, like compensation, excess compensation for not excess um, returns in the business. So they, they sort of harp on management. The other thing that they're trying to do is they've put up nine directors, which would effectively be taking over control of the board. That is very, very unlikely to work because plain vanilla shareholders are not going to vote to throw out the whole slate. They just don't vote to overthrow management, especially when the stock has turned around. But they know that. The activists know that. So they're going to look to get maybe two or three and really make a difference. It's interesting, though, that Coles responded saying, you know, where were these ideas when we talked before? I think that they will end up with some sort of deal where two or three directors get on Cole's board and they really explore the sale lease back. And I think maybe there's some value there. The other thing that was important, you see, what did they pay for their stock? Mm -hmm. Sort of all over the map, but they paid as high as, uh, you know, high 40s. They have options struck at 37 that they paid 15 for, so they don't make any money if the stock's not above 52 and a half. So that makes it sort of interesting to me. They're, the business is in a bit of a turnaround already. So uh, I'm intrigued. And, you know, I like a good activist situation. Sort yeah. of interesting to watch. Dan, you're shaking your head vigorously. Yeah, it, it, this is not a good activist situation. The stock has gone from 20 to $56 in the last four or five months. The company is going to it's going to take them two, three, four years maybe to get back to their peak earnings and sales from a couple years ago. This is obviously a business that's in decline. And you know, I just don't find it particularly interesting. Look at the 20-year chart of this stock, and you see that it has topped out in the mid to high 70s four times over the last 20 years. So I look at this and I say, okay, maybe you have 30% upside over the next few years in this. I think you could throw a dart in this market and find a, a, a stock or a group of stocks that might do that in the next year or so. So to me, I just don't find it particularly compelling. And I feel like, you know, if they started talking in December and it's out now after this big run... You know, you, you want to invest it. Nobody, you could have had all the coals you wanted six months ago. Um, <laughs> and now, you know, there's just far more compelling things in retail that, uh, than, than this. Okay, so last question here, I promise. Guy, would you rather throw a dart or shares of coal? Oh! <laughs> shares of coals. And you know that I've never bought anything on the line, but I return a lot of things from being purchased on the line. And recently I had to go to coals and return something from Amazon. God only knows what it was, because I don't open these things. It's really not, not none of my business. But I found it fascinating how simple the process was. And i got to tell you something. I think foot traffic, I think the Amazon relationship was a lifeline for them. So I think it could trade up to 74, and I think it happens quicker than people think. They report earnings, I believe, on March 3rd. So I get salty, Dan. I sort of dig salty, Dan. But you know what? This stock still has legs, I think. Yeah. Tim, quick. The presumption is when you throw a dart, you don't know where it's going. I don't know what kind of darts Dan throws, but I mean, I'm pretty good at this game. Uh, and uh, so anyway, look, I, I think department stores have had a run that's a function of COVID forcing restructuring. Look at Macy's, which I'm still long, and, and you have some of the same dynamics, including sale leaseback, which I think is very mm -hmm. interesting. Uh, I'd stay long. Coming up, a trader triple play. We'll tell you what's got each of these names ripping higher today and how you can get in on the action. Plus, a high energy trade, why the sector just put in its best day since December. Do not go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a market flash on Shopify. Shares are down on light volume after hours. The company announced uh, it's launching a $1.6 billion secondary offering. Uh, Dan, you actually flagged this. What do you make of it? Genius. You know, if your stock is up 22 percent, you have a one point or one hundred and seventy billion dollar market cap company and investors are tripping over each other to buy it. Then you sell them stock. You put that cash in your balance sheet. I suspect this is a company that's going to look to do acquisitions. And it's truly one of those companies that I think what wasn't one that just people thought won the pandemic. They've changed the way retail is going to be done for a while here. So we're going to hear about Shopify probably for the next couple of decades and do, being opportunistic selling stock like this is smart at yeah. times like this. Down 2% right now. Time for a trader triple play. Shares of General Electric, Royal Caribbean and Disney all jumping today. So we start off with GE, which hit a new 52-week high on a price target increase from Goldman Sachs. Goldman said it is encouraged about the company being on the right track following a recent investor meeting. Uh, also, CNBC talked to former CEO Jeff Immelt. Here's what he had to say about the, his company. I think about the company every day. Uh, I, I say in the book, I, I know some feel like I've let them down. I, every day I will think about that. And, and again, I just want people to know that we didn't get all right, get it all right. But the team always tried our best to, to build a great company. And, and that's, that's all I can say. I understand. Um, and, and it weighs on me and I think about it. But I, I, I also want to say that there wasn't one thing I could think of to, to try harder. Uh, for the company and for the people. Maybe not try harder, but some uh, investors who are disappointed with GE's fall from grace, so to speak, might have pointed to some acquisitions that were done at prices too high, some sales that were done at prices too low. Um, but Tim, the past is the past. What do you do at GE right now? Yeah, I, got, I like Jeff Elman. He's a fan of the show. He's a friend of ours. And, and it was a difficult time for the company. That, that power acquisition in France was a disaster. Uh, the, the upgrades are coming on the back of aviation and, and the fact that the aviation business was one of the stronger businesses also was de you know, decimated on some level. Um, very solid business. The free cash flow generation and the balance sheet repair are the things that are going to continue to drive this re-rating. And, and I think it's something that you stay long. Yeah. Karen? Well, I sort of feel like I sort of missed the, the very first leg, the point where Tim always talks about, you know, the most money's made when something goes from terrible to just bad. But I think the trajectory may continue when you get into a virtuous cycle and you have a lot of debt on your balance sheet and you're able to generate cash and start paying it down. Generally, pretty good things happen. So I don't know. It's not where I have my industrial exposure, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see it significantly higher a year from now. All right. Up next, Royal Caribbean cruising more than 9% higher today, despite reporting another billion-dollar quarterly loss. The company is saying that future bookings are coming in at pre-pandemic levels and at higher average prices. Also, a lot of new cruisers are booking their cruise. Um, so, Guy, I guess the question here is, are you, are you um, lining up to book your own cruise here? You know, I don't know if there's an H in rhetorical or not. I think there is. But you know and I know that's a rhetorical question. I mean, there's no shut. No, not, it's not happening. I mean, I get seasick watching the, uh, the, those fishing shows, you know, Dangerous Catch. You find me in the bathroom midway through. Just saying. So, but with that said... I mean, you're talking about pre-pandemic levels. Well, the stock was $135 stock, I think, in, in January of last year before things collapsed. I don't, I don't think we're getting back there, but there's still a lot of runway left for these stocks, um, and people are encouraged. I'm not their target audience for a myriad of reasons, but it doesn't matter. I mean, things seem to be um, shoring up 
for the cruise lines. Yeah, and we mentioned Shopify's secondary. Carnival's actually <laughs> uh, filed for a secondary as well. One billion shares to be offered, I guess, to raise uh, more capital. And I guess this is a time, Dan, as you pointed out, it's a time to do it. If you think you need capital, do it now. Yeah, but, you know, Mel, you bring up a good point. Very big difference between Shopify. It's an absolute flex on their side. Right. And then with Carnival, you know, it's like this is capital that they will need, and especially if it just these bookings don't come back. The costs are going to be greater than expected going forward. So, you know, I also think that they should be doing it. I think the Carnival CEO also sold some stock or there's been some insider selling. So it looks like the insiders and the company are looking to shore up their balance sheets. Mm -hmm. All right, last but not least, Disney feeling the magic today, hitting a fresh all-time high ahead of its star launch. The new channel on Disney Plus will target a more adult audience and offer both TV shows and movies to international subscribers. We don't mean adult like in the R or R-rated sort of category, just, you know, grown-ups. Grown-up channel, Tim. <laughs> Why are you come? Why are you prefacing? <laughs> I don't know why I went to you. I don't that. know why. <laughs> I mean, okay, all right. So now that we've established that, and and the reason why it's rallying higher uh, is the fact that it, these are really international audiences. In fact, they're targeting Australia, targeting, targeting Europe, parts of Latin America. I mean, I, that's the part where if you look at what got people very excited about Netflix's recent round of numbers, which by the way hasn't been able to hold those gains, uh, and on a relative value, Disney's been a much better trade. Uh, but it's it's the international growth. So the fact that we've gotten Disney Plus, we looked at the combined subs of that of of, of ESPN and of of you know Hulu exposure, and and now you add in Star, and people are really starting to do more math. And and the valuation is one that should be a function of streaming and the other businesses. And again, they've restructured this company to better gear the investors to understanding the two businesses of essentially content and distribution. So, um, yeah, I stay long and I think there's more to go here. All right. Coming up, looking for an energizing trade. The oil stock seeing some big moves higher today. We'll dig into some of those trades next and later. Yuck. Taco Bell is jumping into the chicken wars. Is this enough to spice up Yum brand stock? I don't know why we said yuck. That wasn't my personal belief, by the way. The details and much more when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Time now for our move of the day. The, uh, check out the, the XLE Energy ETF jumping more than 4%, 4.5% today, I should say. Actually, 3.5%. Correction. Uh, its biggest gain since early December. It is now at its highest level in nearly a year. The move coming as severe storms wreaked havoc across the southern U.S. Um, Tim said the pieces have been in place for this move for some time. Why? Well, I think you have a combination of... Think about what came out of that last OPEC, OPEC plus meeting and some resolve and some some at least follow through from Saudi to to kind of keep capacity uh, where excuse me, keep production where it is. Then you have the dynamic where you actually have demand coming back online. You have certain parts of the world that have actually seen significant industrial reacceleration. Then add in the fact that these companies are all being at least run differently. And, and I've been talking about oil services because I think companies like Schlumberger are, are actually equipped for a new era of technology and free cash flow generation in the world of oil services. And, and I think all these companies have been forced to change their game. Uh, it's not like this is a booming market for oil and oil demand, but commodity prices and super cycle add that as a tailwind and a weaker dollar. And all of these uh, are reasons to, to continue to stay long at energy. I will put uh, the question to you, Guy, that we um, talked about earlier, Paul Sankey pair trade. Would you rather Exxon or Apple here? 
See, that was his pair trade, Exxon and Apple. And what would I rather? Wow, that's right now, given what given the run Exxon's had and given the sell off in Apple, Apple. But that that doesn't mean I'm not a believer in the oil trade. But it is Apple. And quickly, uh, not to deviate from your wonderful game, but we have talked about the levered names, specifically a company like PSX, which has now pretty much doubled since that October low and that huge double bottom that we've outlined a number of times. I still think it gets up to 89 which was the level we saw last June. But again, to play your game, given the run in Exxon, given the sell-off in Apple, Apple, would you rather, final answer. Thank you for observing the rules. Coming up, it is not hip to be square today. Shares stumbling about 4%. What is ahead? We will hit the options pits for that trade next. And later, Taco Bell jumping into the chicken wars. What are they cooking up? Will our guy Adami try it? All the details straight ahead. Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking big pharma and chatting exclusively with the CEO of Eli Lilly. You can catch the full interview top of the hour on Mad Money. All right, let's switch gears to Square. The payment processor fell nearly 3% today's session, despite a price target boost from Mizuho to 380 bucks a share. Mizuho says the company is undervalued at these levels and that the cash app could clear $30 billion in gross profits by 2031. Let's bring in Mike Coe to check on what traders had to say about this call. Mike. Yeah, so this is a name that's seen considerable bullish activity. In fact, calls have outpaced puts for the last 20 days on average by about two to one. That continued today. And the most active options that we saw were the 300 strike calls that expire at the end of this week. Over 8,000 of those were trading for about $3.70. That would represent an upside move of about 13% or more just to break even. And right now, the options market is actually only implying a move of a little over 9%. And over the last eight quarters, it's only averaged about 8%. So buyers of those calls are obviously going to need to see something pretty extraordinary to see profits by the end of this week. I thought the price target increase over at Mizuho was really interesting. Dan Dolov is the analyst, so we've had him on the show a couple of times. A part of this call was the increased interest in Bitcoin as it ramps to new highs and also the influx of retail traders uh, after the GameStop situation, I'll call it. Uh, Karen, <laughs> what do you think of Square? I mean, they've done a they've done a great job with their business, and uh, but I mean, two reasons down today: the Bitcoin correlation, right? We just talked about it with Tesla; it's here as well, and also the high flyer PE. I mean, this PE is just it's astronomical, and I understand the sentiment of all right, they they cater to small businesses, and we're going to see a lot of small business recovery. The recovery in the stock, I think, is so far greater than the recovery in the small businesses. I think the stock was I don't know seventy before. The pandemic really hit, traded down to, I don't know, 30 or 40, and now it's 268. I, I just, I don't know. I don't get it. They've done a great job, but the valuation for me is just way too high. All right. Thanks for the action, Mike. Uh, for more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That's Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Up next, have we hit peak chicken wars? Well, not so fast. Taco Bell is ready to jump into the race. we got the spicy details next. Welcome back, back to Fast Money. Taco Bell entering the chicken wars with what else? A chicken taco. The offering will be served on a flatbread with a piece of crispy tortilla chicken and chipotle sauce. We'll sell for $2.49. A spicy version with jalapeno slices will also be available, of course. They hit select markets in early March. Shares of the young brands which operates Taco Bell are underperforming this year. It's a guy. And I kid you not, in the prompter, it says, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it, guys. <laughs> no, that does 
Please tell me. Please tell uh, me you didn't write that. I'm begging you. I did begging not. You. I did and not. I did, the fact the that genius you, lies elsewhere. <laughs> yes, that's, that's, so that's good. one way. Of, so I don't understand. So for me, a taco is, and again, you know, I'm, I'm an old person, but a taco is one of those things you put, you put your meat, whatever it is, chicken, ground beef, in something that. Uh, is crunchy. It looks fantastic, but once you bite into it, it collapses like that Jenga game. So I don't understand why they're using this soft thing to call it a taco. A soft taco is not a taco. It's a burrito. And if I'm getting a burrito, as you know, I'm going to Chipotle and getting a burrito, white rice, extra chicken, no beans, sour cream, cheese, and the medium salsa. So I don't know what they're trying to do here. I think it's just a, a campaign to get people like us talking about it. But to me, it's a fail. F-A-L-E, fail, Mel. It does look like half a hamburger roll that's a little bit flat and folded up to surround the fried chicken strip, um, Tim. But, you know, obviously, they've got, they've got to up the ante because everybody's got some sort of chicken offering. So they, they need to compete. Get in the chicken game. It's been proven to be a re-rating for the stock. By the way, you know, Yum! almost outperforming the, the sexier side of the, of the spinoff business. We've talked about companies that have done that. Uh, I like the story there. I'd stay long. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim, back to you. Speaking of staying long, we talked about Disney. We talked about star, superstar, I'd say, and I stayed long Disney. Karen. Yeah, well, if I'm staying long, my tech names, the Googles, the Apples, the Microsofts, i got to be short something against it. IGV, software. Right, interrupt final trade. Sure. Just quickly, uh, Lucid Motors confirms that it will go public via merger with this blank check company, CCIV, Churchill Capital. This is one SPAC blank check company that has been just rocketing over the past few months. It's up about 500% year to date. But again, confirming that deal to go public, Lucid Motors. Um, Dan, quickly. Yeah, watch out, Tesla. That's a hot car, that Lucid. Guy. <laughs> Caterpillar, meow. Bad money's next. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.